Spiritually Grounded. I'm your host, Brian Willey, along with my co-host, John Kessler. Episode 41 features the defensive coordinator of Kansas Wesleyan University, John Micheletti. Coach recalls the impact of his playing career on his development as a coach, along with the challenges that accompany being a young coordinator at your alma mater. Coach also discusses how to create an effective defensive system, advancements in secondary play, and methods for defending modern RPOs. Aspiring defensive coordinators will not want to miss the lessons shared in this week's episode. Don't forget to check out our website at igfootballcoach.com for all our blog posts and podcast episodes. Also, it would be much appreciated if you could leave us a review on iTunes to help grow our program and share our message with a larger community. This episode of Intentionally Grounded is brought to you by GoRoute. GoRoute brings practice efficiency into the 21st century with on-field digital risk coaches. Trusted at practices by more than 350 high schools and 30-plus FBS and FCS teams, GoRoute allows coaches to instantly send scout cards and installs to players so they can stay up-tempo all practice without the need for binders or managing multiple huddles. Compatible with all major play-drawing systems and hand-drawn cards, GoRoute teams routinely double or triple their practice reps daily. If you value practice time and want the best preparation, then you need to go no scout cards with GoRoute. Learn more at www.goroute.com, that is G-O-R-O-U-T.com, or by emailing at sales at goroute.com. Or you can call the phone number at 866-777-1448. Episode 16 of Season 2 of Intentionally Grounded with Coach John Micheletti starts now. Coach, tell us a little bit about yourself and introduce, introduce yourself to our listeners. Yeah, for sure. I uh, grew up in Rock Island, Illinois, uh, right there in the Quad Cities. Uh, went to Allman High School, little Catholic school in Rock Island. Played for uh, David Jaker and Todd DePorter there. Uh, they've both been there for quite a while. Uh, then moved on to St. Ambrose uh, University over there in Davenport, Iowa. Uh, played safety there uh, for Coach Mike Nettisterly. Um Coach Gersh was the defensive coordinator there, who's now the head coach down at Angelo State. And Coach Matt Sankel, uh was the offensive coordinator there, who's now out at Army. Um, Love St. Ambrose. Uh, really didn't want to get away from football uh, when I was done playing. I still had two classes left when I was done. Um, and talked to the coaches a little bit about, hey, the possibilities of moving into a GA role. And I kind of used that year uh, to transition myself into a GA uh, through there, I you know, obviously built a great relationship uh, with Coach Drinkle, um, and I was able to come down to Kansas Wesleyan with him as a special teams coordinator when he came down here in uh, 2014 uh, as a strength coach. Uh, and after a few years of positioning myself and opportunities opening up, I was able to transition to defense coordinator, which is what I'm still doing today. Now, Coach, you talked about uh, you know your playing career at St. Ambrose, and you, you garnered some all-conference honors while you were there. Uh, what made your career so successful at St. Ambrose, and what would you believe some of the lessons were that you learned uh, while playing there? For sure, I think it all uh, started you know having the right upbringing that you know prepared me to handle adversity. I think it's tough for uh, you know many high school athletes that have success and then move on to college, and then they pretty much have to you know start their careers over from the bottom of the totem pole and work their ways up. So. Uh, definitely understanding that, you know, growing up and stuff that, that definitely helped because you see a lot of kids that, you know, give up right away because they get frustrated. But, you know, having the coaches that invested in me and, and, and gave me the, what I needed, not exactly what I wanted at the time, which now you realize how uh, critical that is. Uh, you know, I had a, like, talked about trust, but, you know, I had a trusting relationship with all the coaches. 
you know, I learned the player they trusted was going to be the guy that played, not always the guy that had the most talent. Um, and being a coach now, I see how, how critical that is as well. Uh, but, you know, the family atmosphere that holds each other accountable wins games. You know, I think that's, uh, that's huge. We definitely played teams that were uh, probably more than better athletes, you know, skill and all that stuff. But, you know, our team was so close together and stuff like that, we were able to, uh, you know, win some games and have some success over at St. Ambrose. Coach, I, I know, speaking for Brian and I both at the high school level, it's refreshing to hear a coach talk about giving players what they need more so than maybe what they want. That's very refreshing to hear on our end. Um, but how, how special was it to be able to coach at St. Ambrose? So, you, you know, you graduated and you stuck around and you, and you coached for two years there. And was that yeah. transition difficult um, from playing to now coaching at the same school? Because so you, you probably know a lot of the guys or almost all the guys on the roster for those two years. Oh, yeah, for sure. It was, uh, well, you know, to answer the first part of that question, I believe, you know, most coaches want to coach at their alma mater. They, you know, kind of want to give back. I believe that's pretty universal. And, uh, you know, I know I certainly did. Um, It was perfect for me at the time because I felt I dedicated a lot to the team and, you know, started to really understand, hey, you got to sacrifice and, you know, do certain things to, you know, get the rewards. And, uh, you know, we had a bad year my sophomore year. And then, you know, the junior and senior year, you kind of see the steps we were taking, but we didn't get to that conference championship, uh, which is the obvious goal until, you know, I started the coaching career and I saw that we were going towards that. So I wanted to stick around to be a part of that. So that made that part easy. Um, but I felt I had, you know, a hand in turning the program around in the right direction. And I wanted to make sure I, you know, still got there. On the opposite side of things, it was, it was challenging, though. Um, to move from a college kid mindset to, you know, an authoritative figure in front of, you know, the friends that, you know, you went to parties with, you, you know, hung out with all the time, you, you know, whatever you watch film with as a, as a player, you know, it's, it's tough to move to now you're the head of the film room now. You know, I had a buddy that on the team that I went to school with since fifth grade and, you know, he redshirted his first year. So he had an extra year left and now I was coaching him. And then I had another, one of the safeties was, uh, 28 years old at the time. He's a you know retired veteran and all that. Came back and played. So I had some uh, some different obstacles with guys, uh, you know, having that age issue and all that stuff. But uh, I think it really helped, you know, having that bond through the playing playing with the guys and they're like, hey, they trusted me. Obviously, I don't think coaches would have allowed me to move into a coaching role if I was, uh, you know, not a <laughs> not a good role model for all the other kids. Now you talked about you know all your time at St. Ambrose and all the good things that happened there. Now, when you and Coach Drinkle left in 2013 and came to Kansas Wesleyan, how hard was it for you to leave your alma mater, meaning all things that it's meant to you? And then also, you being such a young age, how was that transition going into a new school and being a coordinator and still being at that young age? Yeah, the leaving St. Ambrose was extremely hard. I always, you know, growing up. You know, St. Ambrose is also in the Quad Cities where I grew up, so I never really left home, and that was my first opportunity to leave uh, was when, you know, the job opened here at Kansas Westland. But it was extremely hard for me to leave uh, St. Ambrose. I was there for seven years, you know, if you count uh, all the schooling and then the GA at the end. You know, there's a lot of good people there, and it's a location that I, I grew up in and I'll always love. But I understood the jobs that, you know, don't always come open, and I was going, you know, I was doing a GA to get a full-time job, so I had to definitely take advantage of the opportunity here and to come along with a coach that I respected and trusted, and I, I wanted to keep learning from, 
in Coach Drinkle, you know, is a is an easy decision for me. Uh, but becoming a coordinator at a young age, it, it was fun. It was uh, I was able to invest much more time and efforts because I didn't have a, a family at the time. Now I have a fiance and a one year old to take care of, and uh, I think it'd be a little, little bit tougher now uh, if I was in those same shoes, you know, just because we uh, turned the program around when we got down here. Um, you know, and that was a lot of hard work. Coach, let's kind of talk about your role at Kansas Western a little bit. You have a new, new uh, head coach in Myers Hendrickson you're working for. And, and as you guys, in, and as he sets the tone for recruiting, what are some of the areas that you really highlight with some of the athletes that you're going after? And what do you believe is the most difficult adjustment that those players have to make when they come play football for you guys? For sure. I, and, and, you know, first, I believe that, you know, it's probably universal, you know, good academics. That goes, you know, so many other good habits, you know, obviously helped get a kid into school. He had good academics, but, uh, you know, the, the discipline, the organization stuff like that, that usually have with a kid that is on top of his stuff in the classroom, but the other stuff, you know, the consistency of putting consistent, good plays on film. Uh, we're big in that obviously having good teammates and, you know, obviously if there's something that a red flag comes up in the recruiting process, you know, it's like, Hey, you want to recruit the guys you want to coach. You don't want to bring in a headache and have to babysit the kid you know, the whole four years because that, uh, that makes you age pretty quickly. But uh, I really, you know, pay attention to the evenness to be where your feet are. You know, I want guys that are happy to be on the team, happy to, hey, take on their role. And I think that's a big part of what we do in the recruiting process is really getting to know the kids to see if they are, you know, going to be a role player. We have a lot of good kids. We don't need kids to do everything. You know, we have a specific job, and we want guys that understand that and are willing to do anything to help move the team forward. Um, we always kind of talk about football being very close to, like, a military atmosphere of it takes everybody to be able to move forward. You know, like, if you, you know, with a sniper, you have a guy spotting it. It's the same thing in football. you got to have a lineman blocking for uh, the quarterback so the receiver has time to get up and down the field. I mean, that's just – it's simple stuff, but uh, understanding the whole family part, being a good teammate, being consistent and all that, and obviously having the good habits is, is huge. Now, Coach, walk us through a, a typical indie period with you. What are some of the drills that you believe are the most important and the most influential in your defense's development? Yeah, at, uh, at every position group, we want to teach the most important fundamental techniques first and have them take a bunch of reps at, at those. You know, We refer to them as EDDs or everyday drills. Um, usually those consist of like reach steps. Um, we're not big game that backpelling with our safeties or anything like that. So we really want them slow, uh, reach steps. We even talk about a little buffer steps. Uh, so they're not really working back. They're more working inside to an inside technique. That's the same thing though with linebackers where they're reading their, they're taking their reach steps and D linemen with their get off steps. Um, uh, but we also want to make sure at every position level, you guys got to be able to get off blocks and we got to make sure. We, you know, we teach the whole, uh, you know, tracking the hip. So I think those are the most fundal, fundamental things you can do. Um, obviously, you got to be able to line up right. got to be able to track the ball, and you got to be able to get off blocks if you're going to be a, a good uh, defensive football player here. Um, but we always use or related to the three-tiered coaching progression of the, you know, the non-competitive. So you're teaching exactly what you want, the competitive, um, and then simplified competition, you know, the, or the pure competition, which gets into the one-on-one. So pretty much what – the stuff we teach in those EDDs, we want to make sure that we're carrying those over to one-on-ones and then split drill or half-line, half, half line, whatever you call it, and seven-on-seven, seven, and you bring 11-on-11, and you have those same 
the same basic, you know, fundamentals and techniques. We don't want those to lose. And obviously on game day, the most important, uh, most important day. I think a lot of drills, there's a lot of good drills out there. I think the biggest mistake is, you know, we all, you know, go to clinics and talk to people and you just got to make sure it fits what your scheme is running, you know, and I think that's the biggest thing for coordinators to think of is like, hey, there's a million ways to skin a cat, but there's got to be the stuff that works for you and your players. Coach, talk about what kind of offensive systems have typically given you the most headache uh, in your defensive career. Okay. Um, yeah, going against Draco's offense for years has really, you know, kind of helped me evolve and really being around such a great offensive mind like kids that allows me to understand what offensive coordinators are trying to do. You know, I, I think I kind of learned defense back or <laughs> backwards, I guess, you know, because I have from an offensive standpoint just being around Draco so much. But uh, I think the hardest thing to defend is being creative with good personnel. Um, like you have a very good wide receiver that requires more attention with a good downhill run game. I know we ran into that in our last game uh, that ended our season this year. They had different personnel where they would add a O-lineman to the backfield. And, you know, and uh, that's a lot different fitting on that in an ISO game or anything like that than a fullback. You know, if you got a big 300-pounder back there, uh, but then they had a receiver that you had to have. You know, we had to double because we had nobody that can cover him because he's one of the better guys in the whole country. So um, I think guys, offensive coordinators that can get you know, pretty creative with all that. Um, and that's all up to the personnel that they are dealt with. I think triple option teams are probably the most stressful week for me uh, because everything is so disciplined and clear cut, but I probably look forward to those games the most because that's what I grew up and that's what I ran back when I was at Allman High School. So uh, I hope that kind of answers it a little bit for you. And, Coach, one of the things that we hear a lot about, you know, that's kind of in vogue in terms of a lot of defensive adjustments, uh, today is, is match quarters. And so, you know, what experience do you have coaching up um, match quarters at Kansas Wesleyan? And then if so, or how much do you run it, and what are some of your teaching points that you use? Yeah, we uh, we run a match quarters here. Um, we love it. I think you definitely got to have the guys to do it. Um, and honestly, probably, I mean, there's some games we probably rate it 90% of the time. There's some games we probably rate it, you know, 60 to 70% of the time. Uh, but, we do have a variety of offenses that we face in our league. So I think that, you know, spread is probably the most common that we see. So, you know, we have to adjust our defense to stop what we go against most. And I always try to th- keep things simple. You know, the less my guys are thinking, the better. Take away the easiest throws. Don't get beat by alignment. If the rules you give have gray errors, there will be mistakes made. I think that's, as, you know, as easy as it gets. Uh, obviously, we've got to be communicating always on defense and that's a big thing with you know match quarters is everybody's got to be on the same page because you're pretty much matching exactly what the offensive formation is coming out and you're putting your defense in the best look for that formation coach another you know brian talked about this too kind of in vogue things is rpos and you know we hear a lot about it constantly um how do you guys defend you know everybody tells us all the time, you know, you can you can play cover one against it, and it's really hard to RPO cover one. But, at, you know, at your level, you're kind of in the heat of things. So how do you guys defend it? And and what are some of the ways that you're combating all of the teams doing the RPO type thing? To me, uh, how RPO makes sense is everything is back to triple option. Just instead of a pitch, maybe it's a bubble screen or maybe it's a pop pass or pretty much whatever your RPO tag is. You know, throughout breaking down their film and strategies, we identify who is their RPO threat and, 
and in our 4-3 scheme, we adjust to have our outside linebackers be able to fit on that. So we'll always um, have an unconflicted outside linebacker. So we'll adjust our tackles pretty much to the backside or away from the back or wherever we we break down and think that, hey, that's their RPO side. You know, a lot of times keep it on the same side with their back. Some guys always have it on the back side. So obviously we have to adjust week to week based on what kind of RPO team they are. Uh, but, yeah, being able to take that outside line outside linebacker and be able to fit on that RPO threat, which is pretty much in layman's term, the pitch guy. Uh, it really takes a lot of confusion out and it allows our guys just to play. You know, it's really just back to simplifying the game. Uh, many teams do use the man techniques and, you know, we've, we do have cover one in our, uh, in our playbook as well, just for those teams that get it and get running it very well. Uh, but yeah, with our match quarters and just by adjusting our tackles and, keeping that outside linebacker unconflicted, it really, uh, we really had some success with that this year. Coach, many of our listeners tend to be high school coaches, and so if you had to give advice to our, a young high school defensive coordinator or maybe a, a young aspiring high school defensive coordinator, what would be the most important piece of advice that you'd give them to help them become successful? Yeah, I think the, you know, the most important thing is don't make things too complex. I mean, you have to know your kids and do what your best players do well, you know, it should be easier. I always think it should be easier for me as a coach to adapt slightly to the players or to be able to change than to ask all those guys to be able to adapt to what I'm doing. And, you know, cause we are the ones with the experience. We are the ones that should know all that stuff. So I think it's always, I, you always get in too much trouble when you try to ask the kids to do too much or have them learn too many things Just keep it simple and let the guys go out there and run around and play, you know, when they're thinking and that's when mistakes are happening. That's when they're slowing down. Coach, as we wrap up our podcast here today, um, we have a non-football-related question, so I don't know if you saw it at the end, but if you had a walk-up yeah. song as a professional baseball player or as a professional wrestler, and we you know, we see you guys on social media all the time with the NWO shirts, <laughs> and so we know that you're into this. So, oh, yeah. um, But if you, had a, if you had a walk-up song, what would it be? And you, and you have to give us a why. Yeah, I, uh, I mean – Man, it'd be tough. Nothing beats the Stone Cold Glass Bridge. I'll tell you that. I, I saw that question. I was like, I gotta think of something. I'm like, guy, there's nothing. The glass break is the the best thing you can come to. But uh, I think song wise, uh, Return of the Mac by Mark Morrison. If they could just turn the word Mac to Mick, I think it'd be perfect. <laughs> and uh, it's a good mood song. Uh, you know, gets everybody on the feet. I know it's one song that we have on our pregame playlist, and it's a every kid from any generation, parents, anything like that. You can see them having it's a good, uh, like I said, a good mood song. 